Welcome to my podcast. My name is Emily Mayer, owner of Haver Historic Tours and More. If you are a first-time listener, I'm glad you're listening, and if you are a repeat listener, I'm glad you're back. This podcast was recorded in the kitchen of the historic Boone, Dalrymple, and Mayer home in Haver, Hill County, Montana. It is the week of January 28, 2024, and we are getting a taste of spring. Three days ago, we received a Chinook wind, which are warm winds coming from the southwest. Four days ago, we had a bunch of snow on the ground, and today, a lot of that snow is gone. What's left is a lot of mud in places, and in other places are sheets of ice with water on top of it, making it very slick. So if you are out and about in Haver in Hill County, Montana, please be careful. The past week experienced a lot of planning for future projects as well as follow up on a couple of past projects. The subject of history is ever evolving. New information, new ideas, new approaches is a constant in the history field. So it's important to gather information, examine available materials, and revise content. I'm also getting ready to itemize everything for my taxes so I can take it to my tax preparer and he can work his magic to let me know if I owe or if I'm getting anything back. Because I own a small business and don't know all the ins and outs of the tax, the tax code, I find it worth my money to send my tax information to a professional so he or she can take care of it. I feel as long as I'm providing everything I'm supposed to, then if I'm ever audited, I've got a good foundation to stand on. So that's going to take a couple of more days and hopefully by mid-February I will have everything together to send on. In the meantime, I'm also organizing my home, which is not a small feat. My historic home, well, it used to be a showpiece of Haver history, a beautifully decorated, clean, tidy, organized. But for the past three years, I've treated my beloved home like a frat house. This place is a mess and I don't like it at all. The summer of 2022 was the worst summer of my life. I was working 80 plus hours a week half of that for people who did not respect or appreciate what I brought to the table in a field I know more about than they do. It was stressful, chaotic, and I was getting about three hours of sleep a night if I was lucky. I could count on both hands the number of days I had completely off from May 16th through almost the end of September. Three of those days were federal holidays and it was required I had to, it was required that I had those days off so my employer wouldn't pay me overtime. But had they not been holidays, I would have had to work those days as well. So working way too much, getting entirely too little sleep, working for ungrateful people, my last and probably final relationship cratering, experiencing health issues I'm not sure I've recovered from since that time it all culminated in that something had to give and sadly it was my precious home. After dealing with the aftermath of that painful experience letting things go that I thought was important which subsequently I found out they were not that important anyway 
I'm just now finally getting everything together, gaining my confidence back, and moving forward with the goals, dreams, ambitions, aspirations, and objectives that are truly important to me. This podcast is part of that vision, and I'm so glad you're on this journey of healing, discovering, and achieving with me. Of course, we all have to take time to eat, and this last week was Meatless Week. I decided to make a longtime favorite Ranchero Macaroni Bake from the book Easy Home Cooking by Campbell Soup, published in 1995. Now, there's a story behind that cookbook. Back in 1999, I had been living in the cottage for only a year. I was still in my 20s and I really didn't have a lot to do with anything in the kitchen. Cooking for me was heating a can of whatever I pulled off the shelf. Because until I bought the cottage, I felt every kitchen belonged to somebody else. Growing up, it was my mother's kitchen, or my grandma's kitchen, or Auntie Dee Dee's kitchen, or I rented and I felt like my apartment kitchens were borrowed, but never mine. But when I bought the cottage, that was my kitchen, all mine. But what do I do with it? I knew how to cook maybe some basics, but not much beyond that. Homemaker schools were popular events many years ago and had been for decades. I bought the cottage in September of 1998, and a year later, the Haver Daily News, MSU Northern Athletics, and several merchants hosted another homemaker school event. I was standing in a very long line to get into the Armory Gym on MSU Northern's campus when I met up with a friend, Lynn Mahan. Lynn and her husband, who was a former Los Angeles cop, lived in Chinook at the time, and I met her when Haver tried to revive the local garden club. The people putting on the event were passing out some door prizes, among them the aforementioned cookbook. Lynn got the last one, and she quickly gave it to me. Here, she said, I have way too many cookbooks. I'll never use this one. You're young, so you take it. Except for my copy of The Ultimate Diabetes Cookbook by Better Homes and Gardens, I have made more recipes from this Campbell's volume than any other cookbook in my now massive collection. I'll never forget that gift or the wonderful woman who gave a young friend an unforgettable and useful gift. Thanks, Lynn. One of those recipes is the Ranchero Macaroni Bake. It's very easy to make very quickly very quick to put together as well Um, and the original recipe uh, reads as follows one can of condensed cream of mushroom soup one cup of milk one cup of salsa three cups shredded cheddar or monterey jack cheese or 12 ounces six cups of hot cooked elbow macaroni about three cups dry one cup coarsely crushed tortilla chips. Mix soup, milk, salsa, cheese, and macaroni. Spoon into three-quart shallow baking dish. Bake at 400 degrees Fahrenheit for 20 minutes or until hot. Stir. Sprinkle chips over macaroni mixture. Bake five minutes more. This makes eight as a main dish or 12 as a side dish. I modified mine a little bit Um, I like to use the 98% fat-free cream of mushroom soup that Great Value puts out. 
you you buy it you know in the aisle in the place where uh, well they call themselves the largest retailer in the world I'm not going to give them any free advertising on this podcast and um, for milk I used 1% milk and for the pasta instead of regular macaroni I used a veggie uh, macaroni Um, I think I've kind of said a few times that you know I look for recipes that are diabetes friendly it's because I'm a diabetic I don't know that I mentioned that in my podcast I don't think I did but so I'm always trying to find ways to take these recipes make them diabetic friendly so I can still enjoy them and using um, whole grain pastas like whole grain whole wheat um, the veggie pastas those work out well for me and try to find either low-fat or fat-free options uh, makes it a little bit easier for me to um, eat and not mess around with my blood sugar so much. And the tortilla chips, I am a very thrifty person, a very saving person. Um, I like to um, take, you know, when you get a bag of chips, you know, tortilla chips or any kind of chips, you got all those little crumbs on the bottom. And what I do is I'll put those in a little freezer bag and I'll put them in the freezer and then I will use them later on. In this case, I just use the you know, crushed chips that's on the bottom of your tortilla chip bag. I use those to top this particular casserole. Other, one, other ones I'll use for other casseroles or to put in soups for that added little crunch. Um, food waste to me is um, not a good thing. I grew up in a family where we just didn't waste food. We always found alternatives for, for meals. Um, leftovers is what we grew up, grew up on. Uh, so I always try to find neat and different things for uh, food so that I'm not throwing so much out in my own home. So I'm trying to contribute to a cause in my own little way. And that recipe is so good. Not only that, but it microwaves very well. It leftovers very well, except for the tortilla chips. Uh, what I will do is I will toast those separately on a baking sheet, and then I'll put them in little tiny containers. And then when I go to work and I put the casserole in the microwave to heat up, then I'll go ahead and I'll top the casserole with the tortilla chips. Otherwise, if you leave it and it lefts over, those tortilla chips they get soggy and they're kind of gross so anyhow just kind of a little tip there um, very good recipe um, I'll be eating meatless recipes for 40 days here pretty soon for Lent so anyhow there's a nice recipe for you and if you find this um, this easy home cooking cookbook if you're going out and about in a thrift store or a rummage sale or something grab it it's it's just absolutely useful it has all kinds of things in there like a tomato soup cake don't knock it till you try it it's really good if you like spice cake you will like tomato soup cake so anyhow but more on that later uh, for the um, history for this week in amidst news of the teapot dome scandal Nikolai Lenin's death and Fatty Arbuckle's efforts to get Missouri to start showing his films in the state, local news was fairly serious. One of Haver's two remaining banks, the Security State Bank, had closed its doors, leaving only the Montana National Bank to do business in town. 
bank failures meant the collapse of communities, and with Haver then being a division point on the Great Northern Railway, it was crucial to Haver's survival to have a bank in which to operate, circulate money, cash checks, and grant loans. Many depositors in the Security State State Bank withdrew their money and put it in in the Montana National. For several days, the Haver promoter published the names of the individuals, businesses, and civic groups that opened new accounts, something that would be unheard of today. The Montana National Bank opened in 1918 in the rear of the building on the southwest corner of 1st Street and 3rd Avenue, where Boone's Drug Store was located. And yes, I do live in the historic Boone home. Uh, Same people and I'll talk more about them later, lots more later. Um, And if you go on a tour of Haver Beneath the Streets, you will see a bank bank vault. It's kind of tucked away, but it's down there. If you go from the Boone's Drugstore exhibit at Haver Beneath the Streets and you're going from that one to Wassing's Laundry, there's a bank vault that's just kind of to your right there. Again, it's not well... uh, you have, you have to kind of look for it when you're passing it. But that would have been the vault to the, um, the Montana National Bank. Uh, in 1955, the name changed to First National Bank, and in 1956, they moved into their newly constructed building on the northeast corner of 2nd Street and 2nd Avenue, where Altana Credit Union, formerly Bearpaw Credit Union, and before that, Burlington Northern Credit Union, is today. First National is still in business. It was later renamed First Bank Haver, and in 1981 they moved into another newly built building on the north side of First Street between 2nd and 3rd Avenues, and today is U.S. Bank. I'll talk more about some of Haver's banks in a future podcast. Prohibition, of course, was in full swing 100 years ago. Some people were getting rich, others were enjoying alcoholic beverages, and others still felt they were being left out of the party, one being the city of Haver. Since governments don't like being uninvited, the city council decided to invite itself to the state and federal government's revenue-grabbing party of assessing fines for violating the Volstead Act. The following was found in the January 24, 1924 issue of The Promoter. The headline reads, Booze Ordinance Passed by City Council. Ordinance number 190, known as the Whiskey Ordinance, was passed by the City Council last night. The ordinance provides that the introduction into the manufacture of, transport of, the illegal possession of, the selling, exchanging, or giving away, bartering, or disposing of any ardent spirits, or any compound of, capable of being used as a beverage or any brandy, whiskey, rum, gin, beer, ale, porter, wine, or any other intoxicating liquor of any kind within the city limits of Haver be prohibited and that the places where any such liquors are manufactured, possessed, sold, exchanged, given away, bartered, or disposed of in violation of law be declared common nuisances. Fines not to exceed $300 and imprisonment of the ci- in the city jail for not more than 90 days are provided for in the ordinance for violation of the new law. The adoption of the ordinance means that the city's 
sources of revenue have been enlarged and that instead of the county securing all of the fine money from violations of the liquor laws, the city will get its share. The report of the city health officer for the month of December was read and a communication from A.E. Knights, superintendent of the Great Northern, proposed that the city pay part of the cost of installing lights on the viaduct. The letter will be turned over to the county commissioners as the Great Northern Viaduct is outside the city limits. So yes, do not not invite the city to a revenue grabbing party. They don't like it. Busting people for illegal hooch wasn't the only vice crime the Haver cops were pursuing. This article was in the January 22, 1924 issue. The headline reads, Two Men Arrested for Gambling at Oxford. H.E. Poole and a man by the name of McGlynn were arrested last night after Sheriff Timmons and Deputy Heron had raided the Oxford Pool Hall and broken up a game of poker. Twelve or fifteen men were in the games when the officers appeared. Poole and McGlynn put up a $150 cash bond and were released. Raids conducted by the sheriff's force last week netted 82 quarts of gin, whiskey, and beer, all of which are now safely stored in the sheriff's vault. Saturday evening, three raids were pulled off by Sheriff Timmons, under Sheriff George Isaacs, and deputies George Heron and Leonard Clark. Seventeen quarts of liquor were taken from the Mike Lewis place back of the bank saloon, and a number of jugs and bottles which smelled suspiciously of intoxicants were found at the, tent, at the Tom Foley place next door. The officers also visited the Oxford Pool Hall on the lookout for gambling, but nothing was found. It is expected arrests will be made in connection with the raids in a few days. Now, the bank saloon was on First Street, on the north side of First Street between a second our third uh, third avenue and fourth avenue uh, if you look at the kxei radio station building you will see along the facade there's the word bank well that's where the bank saloon used to be and of course right next door was where the Foley's place where another bust was taking place 100 years ago now three days later on january 25th this article was in the paper the headline reads five men released after gambling raid M.J. McGlynn, H.E. Poole, George Mang, Edward Ober, and Robert Geske have been released on $200 bonds, bonds each following their arrests on charges of gambling in connection with the raid on the Oxford Pool Hall Tuesday evening. Sheriff Timmons, Deputy George Heron, Deputy Leonard Clark, and Frank Roth of Simpson searched the Joe Lucier rooming house above the old farmer state bank on wednesday night and found four or five quarts of intoxicants no one was at the place when the raid was conducted but arrests are expected to follow now the farmer state bank was located where the haver railroad museum uh, is today that particular building uh, was originally the farmer state bank and then it turned into hub clothing and it was hub clothing for years and years and more years and then later, when I was a, a girl, it was um, the Stockman Bank and uh, or, no, Stockman Bank, Stockman Bar, 
and then Canton restaurant was in the back of, of um, the Stockman bar and you had to go through the Stockman bar in order to get to Canton and oh gosh we loved it and uh, there was this um, kind of semi-circular shaped bar that you sat around and right and today they modified it to um, uh, be where uh, the big model railroad setup is there that used to be the bar many years ago so uh, there's a little um, a little have her memory for you I'm really stretching back there but oh gosh I just remember Canton the food was so good and the, the Lou's were such wonderful wonderful people I miss them very much to this day um, in other news a hundred years ago the world was going gaga over King Tut and Haver was no exception. This article was found in the Society column on January 20th, 1924. King Tut Tea next Saturday. A group of Presbyterian ladies will give a King Tut Tea next Saturday afternoon at the home of Mrs. W. F. Hamilton on 3rd Avenue. The money raised will go into the Presbyterian Indebtedness Fund. An Egyptian fortune teller will be one of the attractions of the afternoon in addition to refreshments of chicken salad, sandwiches, cakes, and coffee. That sounds like a fun party. And curiously, this little paragraph was published in the January 26, 1924 Society column issue. Mr. and Mrs. C.W. Young left yesterday on a trip to Chicago for several weeks. Shorty Young, Haver's bootlegger king, in Chicago, where another bootlegger king, Al Capone, lived. Coincidence? You decide. And that concludes this week's podcast. If you enjoyed listening, tell your family and friends. Share this podcast on Facebook Give it a like, and until next week, remember, history always matters. I'm Emily Mayer. Thanks for listening.